The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Pastor Doug had to look around make sure I was here. <laughs> well, I feel, I feel plenty welcome. <clears throat> well, it is awesome to be in the house of the Lord this and at negative four degrees, I wasn't sure if anyone else was going to be here or not. So I'm really glad to see you all this evening. Would you please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians? We're going to be back in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, this is God's Word, and I pray that He will uh, use it and work in both the preacher and the hearers this afternoon. Now, just to prepare you uh, for uh, what's ahead, we will be looking at several passages of Scripture this afternoon. And uh, the reason for that is we're taking a topical approach to the study of the fruit of the Spirit. Now last time I discussed how Paul has given us two ages that are in view in this passage. This present evil age and the age that is to come. All humans live in this present evil age. But as Christians, we have been born again, born into the age to come. We now live in this overlap. We still live in this present darkness, but we are citizens of the kingdom of light. Now, this afternoon we will begin looking at the actual fruit of the Spirit. That is the attributes that are produced in the believer by the sanctifying presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to say something that you'll hear me say several times throughout this series. And I'm going to be on repeat with it a little bit because we need to train ourselves to think in this way. We do not produce these fruits in ourselves. If you see an area of weakness in your Christian life, the answer is not to try harder to produce in ourselves. The answer is to turn to Christ again and again 
and again. This is how we work out our salvation. It is the Lord who works in us, changing our will and strengthening us for action. This afternoon, we will be looking at the first fruit in Paul's list. That is love. Love is really the foundation of this entire list. It is like the fertile soil from which the rest of the fruits of the Spirit spring forth and grow in your life. Now to let you see the roadmap, as it were, to where we will be going, we're going to look at each of these fruits from two distinct but related viewpoints. First, in the character of God. And second, in its manifestation in the life of believers. So first, in the character of God. God is love. We know that. We know it to be true. We believe it. God is love. But what does this mean? To help us grasp this amazing concept, I want to do a little thought experiment this afternoon. If you could travel to any time in the past, when and where would you go? Have you ever considered what you would do if you had the ability to travel back in time? What if you were given an assignment in this time travel? You were given the assignment to travel back in time and find the earliest traces of love. When and where would you go? Would you go back to the days of the patriarchs, to the famed love of Isaac and Rebekah? Or would you go back to see the love still unstained by sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? I have read theologians that discuss the love that was present in creation itself in Genesis 1 and 2. However, even if you went back to the beginning of time, you would not find the beginning of love. You see, if we could escape the confines of time and see into eternity past, we would see the evidence of love in a covenant made by God. The covenant made between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit promising to redeem a sinful people not even created yet. If we could escape time and space and enter into eternity past, we would see the astounding love of God. Have you ever wondered why love is greater than faith and hope? Remember the, the great Christian triad of faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Why is love greater? Well, partially at least, it's because faith and hope will eventually become extinct. When we reach our eternal home in glory, there will be no more need for faith or hope. Our faith will be sight. And our hope will be fulfilled. But love will remain. Love is 
eternal. The root and foundation of love is found in the Trinity itself. God is perfect in all of His attributes. And as such, we can see that the first priority of the love of God is the love of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Very familiar passage in Matthew. It's the baptism of Jesus. Matthew 3 and beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you see the declaration and announcement of the Father's love for the Son? Can you think of another similar announcement? How about at the Mountain of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17? Matthew chapter 17 says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Again, we see the declaration of love that the Father is giving to the Son. Both of those events are recorded in all three synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And not only that, but Peter remembers the transfiguration in his second epistle. Second <clears throat> uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him in the holy mountain. The New Testament thoroughly announces the Father's love for the Son. And it is a perfect love between God the Father and God the Son. That point is very clear. But what might not be as clear is the answer to the so what test. So what? What does this matter and why does this matter? Well, dear Christian, that is the good part. God's love for you is rooted in His love for Christ. Turn with me over to 1 John. The letter of 1 John, that's uh, towards the back of the New Testament, 
chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the sons of God, children of God, excuse me. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself and is pure. Because of Christ, we are now children of God. John here ties the love the Father has given us to our adoption in Christ. And Paul agrees with this assessment also. He talks about that in Romans chapter 8, where he talks about that uh, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Dear Christian, you have been adopted into the family of God. You have been delivered from slavery. You have been delivered from the fear of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters in Christ, just as God declared His love for Christ at the baptism and the transfiguration, He has declared in His Word His love for you. God loves you. God loves you. And He has since before time began. And He will for all eternity. He has called you His treasured possession. And nothing can separate you from His love. There is no statement more true or more trustworthy than this. God loves His children. And His love is effectual. It effects change in us. When His love first awakened in our dead hearts, we were filthy and unlovely. We were ragged and stained. We looked much more like our old slave masters than our new Savior. That's one of the things that makes His great love for us so amazing. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of His love for the unlovely, Christ came as a man. He suffered in life and death and triumphed over the grave in victory. But in His great love for us, He does not leave us as the ragamuffin orphans that we were when He quickened our hearts. He transforms us and conforms us more and more to be like Him. The more and more we can love like Him. Which brings us to the manifestation of love in the life of the believer. 
We're going to stay in 1 John, but we're going to look over at chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. To say that love is a main theme of 1 John is like saying dough is a main theme of bread. The Greek word agape is translated as love in our text here. And I counted some variation of agape 30 times in this short letter of 1 John. Now, unfortunately, this passage in particular is often used in a way that is the exact opposite of what was intended by John when he wrote it. John's purpose was to help us have assurance. 1 John 3.19 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. Chapter 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So I counted how many times I found the word no in 1 John. 34 times. That's more than agape was in there. To use this passage as a means of causing a believer to doubt is what Pastor Tim refers to as an unlawful use of the law. John is writing so that we can know that we belong to God. Those who belong to God are His children. And His children and His children are in the process of being made to be like Him. So, my dear Christian, you can tell if you are God's children because you have the desire and the, cap- the capacity to love God and each other. So here's an honest and sincere question. Do you love one another? Now, if we look at this question from the perspective of the legalist, we have to add a qualifier to that sentence, don't we? Do you love enough? What is the goal? How much love do I need to have to be sure that I am God's child? What is the measure I must attain to ensure that I have met the standard? Beloved, John knows that we are frail. Did you notice the central point in this passage that we read? His point is not that we should love 
so that we will be loved by God. Rather, it's since we are loved by God, we should love out of God's love for us. There is no measuring rod put against us in this passage. The measure is on Christ. And He has been found exceedingly, abundantly superior to the requirement. So what is required? Love. Who has accomplished this love? Christ. Indeed, we were enemies of God. We were hostile to Him. We hated Him. Love certainly did not start with us. It makes no sense to say that we are anything on account of our own love for God or each other. Notice verse 10. It says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love originates and emanates from God. God, who loves the Son as first priority, was willing to send the Beloved into this world for our sakes. Who can fathom the great love of God? It is too much to comprehend. To even take hold of it at all requires God's help. No wonder Paul prayed for the Ephesians that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God's love is so amazing that we need His help to even begin to grasp it. Now, with this wonderful view of God's amazing love, demonstrated in the incarnation of Jesus, who lived the life of a suffering servant, died the death of the sacrificial lamb, all on our behalf. With this in view, it is clear that our own love does not measure up. I do not love you as I should. I confess, I do not love you as I should. Given this great example of our Savior, unless you think I'm revealing some great scandal, you don't love me as you should either. Nor do you love each other as you should. But do not hear these as condemning words. As Psalm 103 reminds us, He knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. His love is sufficient. So what's my point? Since we all fail at loving as we should, should we just shrug our shoulders and say, 
oh well, and keep on as we have been? No, that is not my point. Okay, then should we knuckle down, try harder to love so that we can meet the standard? No, that is certainly not my point either. We should work to show love, both to God and to one another. But that love will grow out of God's love in us. If you can see a deficiency in your love for God and for others, here's what you need to do. Rather than turning your eyes inward to do better in your own strength, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look to Him who is perfect love. And as you grow in your understanding of Him and His love, that love will naturally begin to overflow out of you. This is a prayer that perfectly is in line with God's will. And He will give it. As you interact with God in His Word, and in prayer at home, or here as we gather, ask Him to grow His love in you and begin to overflow out of you. Now I do want to give one final word of exhortation to those who may be here who have never experienced God's love. My friend, you are on unstable ground. You cannot stand on your own behavior. You cannot stand on your parents' faith. You cannot stand on your spouse's faith. You cannot stand on being a good person compared to others. You cannot stand on a belief that you've done more good than bad in your life. In view of the perfect, eternal, faithful love of God, there is nothing within yourself that can attain the standard. And make no mistake, God's Word clearly states that this perfection is the standard. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And Jesus Himself confirmed that this was the first and greatest commandment. You cannot in your heart of hearts believe that you have kept that commandment perfectly and perpetually. And as such, just like the rest of us, you are counted a sinner. An enemy of God. You are in the crosshairs of His righteous justice. Law-breaking comes with a penalty. And in this case, the crime was committed against the Almighty, which makes the penalty severe. There is good news for you. God loves His enemies. He loves His enemies so much that He gave His most beloved Son on their behalf. This Son of God, Jesus Christ, was born as a human in every respect 
except without sin. And He lived a perfect life on our behalf. And He died a death that He didn't deserve, but that we certainly deserve. And as proof that His sacrifice was accepted, God raised Him from the dead as witnessed by many, many people. It's not a myth. It's the most magnificent truth in history. And He offers complete forgiveness and pardon for all who will trust in Him and in the work of Christ. And the offer actually even gets better. Because of His great love for us, He's not content to merely forgive our sin, but He adopts us as His own children. Us who were slaves to sin and enemies of God. He makes us His own children and co-heirs of His kingdom. I invite you today, believe in the Lord Jesus. Turn from your self-reliance and unbelief and trust in Christ. And for all of us, I say, let us all turn our eyes to Christ. The author and perfecter of our faith and the great demonstration of God's perfect love. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.